Welcome to the Fit Mind Project. My name's Barry Ash, and along with my wife Laura Ash, we are the founders of Rock Solid Health and the Freedom Programs. We believe that everybody should have access to a simple and supportive way to transform their health and their well-being, both physically and mentally, so we can feel better than we currently do. Our aim is to bring together a community of like-minded people who want to transform their habits and their behaviours using the rock solid method so they can take ownership of their health and their well-being. With this podcast, we're going to be having conversations with some amazing people that will help and inspire you to take back control of your lives. As we believe, when we are healthier, we are happier. Welcome to episode 41 of the Fit Mind Project. We're often approached by parents with teenagers saying they have difficulty with them and their moods and how they act. Parents want to try and control their teenagers by working externally on them. However, there could be another way. And it's because of this reason we're honoured and we're super excited to invite Paul McGee, aka the sumo guy, on to speak to you about being a calmer you and how it can lead to having calmer teenagers. Paul is one heck of a guy. He is Sunday Times best-selling author and motivational speaker, specialising in relationships and getting the best out of life. Paul has actually written 11 best-selling books to now, and he's working on his 12th. And this is the reason why we're bringing him on today, because that is the subject he's talking about, teenagers. He is a really decorated and highly skilled coach in this area, and he's going to blow your mind away with what he's got to share. When Paul said that he's writing this upcoming book on this very subject, we jumped at the chance to get him on to share his knowledge and his wisdom with you. We're going to be chatting all about why do we find it hard to stay calm with our teenagers, why it's important that parents stay calm and the benefits of harnessing that skill. Plus, we'll also look at some of the mistakes that some parents make when trying to deal with their teenagers. Paul is going to share with us the lessons he's learned from a beach ball. Yeah, you heard me right, the beach ball. So let's just dive straight into the conversation. So guys, welcome to today. Um, It's a beautiful day outside and I tell you what, Barry and I are so excited to host this webinar podcast today because we really do have someone very, very special for you guys today to listen to, to learn from, and more importantly, to to grow from as well, okay? If you don't grow from here, you're not listening properly, guys, because we've got some special nuggets coming your way. Absolutely. So guys, you will see on the screen that we are joined today by the lovely... Paul McGee. Um, So let me just tell you a little bit about Paul before we dive straight in to help you guys. So Paul, if you don't know, is a Sunday Times best-selling author. He's a motivational speaker and he actually specializes in relationships, resilience and getting the best out of life. Now Paul has written 11 books. Yes, 11 books. Um, I think that's more than you've read, isn't it, Buzz? Just about. (laughs) (laughs) And and his 12th book is actually going to be coming out, which is all around teenagers. So this is why we wanted to get Paul to come and talk to you guys about how being a calmer parent leads to having a calmer teenager. But you might also know Paul as the sumo guy right? Yeah, so Paul, how did you become the sumo guy and how did it come about? 
Yeah, well, good morning to you guys. And uh, from a rather grey Warrington at the moment, so I'm a little bit, a bit of envy going on already when you say it's lovely outside. Um, yeah, I think when you're at school, you're not in the school playground talking to your mates going, you know what, when I'm older, I want to be a motivational speaker and call myself the sumo guy. It's very much something that evolves. My background is in behavioural and social psychology. Uh, I studied a degree, I mean, before you guys were probably even born, right, back in the 80s, long time ago. And I became uh, a graduate management trainee with Unilever, big multinational, and I specialised in HR. Now, Unilever, I've never heard of Unilever before I applied to work with them. They own all lots of other companies like, um, like Birdside Walls. And I work with Birdside. And uh, first six months of my job, I'm in an office pushing pen and paper, then a life-changing conversation with the factory manager. He says, uh, Paul, do you not be really good for your development if you spend some time actually in the factory managing the 30 women on the economy beef burger line? And I'm like, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. Two main lessons I learned from that experience. Number one, don't eat economy beef burgers. And, and secondly, when arrogance meets ignorance, that is a really dangerous cocktail. And do you know what? I think I was a bit of both. You see, what I realised was my, my four-year degree prepared me for getting, you know, my graduation, but it didn't necessarily prepare me for life. I learned a lot from those 30 women, let me tell you. A very interesting experience. Unfortunately, within 12 months of starting this, you know, coveted position with Unilever as a management trainee with them, I became ill with ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis, yuppie flu or chronic fatigue syndrome. Nothing to do with the economy of beef burgers, as far as I was aware. I was actually ill for over three years. Now, if you're not aware of the illness, one of the ways, I mean, one of the ways I explain it is, imagine going to bed at night, your phone is on zero charge, you charge it up all night, you wake up in the morning, and it's on 5%. And that's how it was for me. But there'll be days when it might go to 25 30%. I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting better. And then the next day, I'm back to 5%. So is this... A real roller coaster of an illness because sometimes I'm thinking I'm getting over it and then I'd relapse again. After three years, though, of being ill, I felt I'm in a position where the relapses were less severe. So I might try and get myself a little part time job, but unfortunately, I couldn't because no one had actually hired me because uh, I couldn't pass a medical. So it was actually in 1991, uh, 29 years ago, I hired myself. I was up and amazing at the interview, passed the medical and um, set up in my own business and it was actually a few years later 11 years after starting my business that I came across this phrase sumo and it was actually mentioned to me by a guy who was doing a coaching and counseling skills course up in Scotland in Glasgow and this I think it was a bloke because I never really clocked on how important what these words were going to be to me so this I think it was a guy just said well, if all else fails, you can always tell them to sumo. And everyone's like looking at this guy. And we went, sumo, he went, shut up, move on. By the way, if you're Scottish, I do apologise, you can sue me later. <laughs> and, and I just started to use this phrase, sumo, shut up and move on. And it very, just like the whole business and my life, it wasn't an overnight, oh, this could become a brand. It didn't. But I started to weave this phrase in more and more. And I had like a set of ideas and principles at that time. I was talking about in my training, in my seminars, in my keynotes. And over time, Sumo, those four letters became the kind of, as I say, the umbrella to describe my ideas. And I started to call them my, um, my Sumo principles. And I'd say things like, you know, 
shut up your, your moaning about stuff you can't do anything about and move on and decide what you can do something about. Shut up your excuses, you know, shut up that voice inside your head that's telling you why you can't do stuff and move on with more self-belief. And so <clears throat> I had a book came out in 2005. Now, this book was called Sumo. Now, it's very, and it's actually been out 15 years tomorrow. So tomorrow, it's party time. We're celebrating 15 years of the book being out. In order for it to be published, it was actually rejected by 13 publishers. It was. Had this idea, though. They were a bit quirky. They went, we quite like it. It's a bit different. And unbelievably, W.H. Smith's made it their business book of the month. Now, when I say unbelievably, I guess for two reasons. Number one, to, to kind of like take a risk with a virtual unknown was, was, was strange that W.H. Smith decided to do. But secondly, they made it business book of the month. And it's not really a business book. It's a personal development book. But hey-ho, that became the launching pad for loads of opportunities and things. And as you said, it became a Sunday Times bestseller. I'll be honest with you, though, although some people love the acronym Shut Up and Move On, there are some people that go, well, I think that sounds rather aggressive. And mm -hmm. um, it's not meant to be aggressive. But when we started to do sumo in schools, we realised that maybe we needed to have be a little bit adaptable and flexible because some primary school teachers particularly were a bit uncomfortable with, we love the ideas, but shut up, move on. Mm, wasn't sitting well with them. So we now also have an alternative definition, and that is stop, understand, move on. And we're doing so much in schools. And obviously this next book that comes out in October is, is related to that. Love it. I love the shut up and move on. Mm. Call me controversial, but I love that because it breaks the pattern of thought, doesn't it? You're, Whoa, what have you just said to me? And it, it stops you in your tracks by just saying it in, in that way. You know, Baz, I mean, I, that's how I see it. I think it is. It's provocative, isn't it? It's like, um, interestingly enough, I was talking to a neuroscientist yesterday, you know, as you do on a back holiday Monday. And, and she's got a term, and it's not what you think, but... She came up with this term to describe some of her ideas, and she calls it the pleasure umbrella. And, and I mentioned that to my wife this morning on a walk, and immediately was like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the pleasure umbrella. No. I'm just going to tell you, it's not what you're thinking, okay? But going back to your point, Baz, I think we're so familiar with information and, and phrases being said in the same way that when you hear, yeah, I, I'm the sumo guy, Sumo, what's that about? Oh, you know, expect you're doing a large nappy. And then you go, sometimes we need to shut up and move on. It gets people's attention. And, and I'm not a celebrity. I haven't climbed Everest. I'm not a gold, I've got a gold medal to show my audience. And yet I operate, you know, doing keynote conferences in the UK and abroad. And I've had to work massively hard to kind of like stand out when you're a non-celebrity when you're competing against celebrities to make sure audiences go, well, what I've heard of you and what value can you add? Because you haven't got this amazing, incredible backstory, which I haven't really, but hopefully I've got some cracking stuff that people can use and apply both in work and in their personal lives. Absolutely. And especially here, like, for example, you say, stop, 
understand, move on. And I know that we've been chatting and you've got some really interesting insights in how our brain works. Because as you say, that's kind of the first place where we got to start in relation to adults and in relation to teenagers. So did yeah. you want to explain what these insights are, Paul? Because I think we're all going to love them. Yeah, and, well, and they are, they're insights, but it's not like I've discovered them. It's, it's all about how I guess I come across information. You know, I mean, I do love neuroscience and trying to understand how our brain works, but I guess the breakthrough book for me, because I've been talking about how our brain works for years, but I kept on thinking about how can I make the message sticky and memorable? And there's a book that came out a few years ago by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. And he talks about two systems in our, in our brains. We've got system one, which is our fast brain, system two, our slow brain. Now, for me, I like to try and think, how can I communicate stuff that's going to be really visual and really memorable? So for me, fast brain is represented by this red baseball cap. Yeah. Now, what do we mean by fast brain? It's the first part of the brain that develops in the mother's womb. And its primary purpose is all about survival and protection. So many of you will be familiar with this phrase, your fight or flight response, or your freeze, fight and flight response. That is governed by our, by our red cap, our fast brain. Now, it's the thing about it is we, here we are and I know people will be listening to this in, in different months but we're currently May 2020 yeah and yet what we have to acknowledge is that there are we have this inner cave dweller brain this hunter-gatherer brain is still part of who we are that actually served us phenomenally well on the African savannah 150 to 200,000 years ago and when we talk a lot about everything's changing and all the, the rapidity of change in life and, you know, the iPhone only came out in 2007, 13 years ago. And, and you go, yeah, 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 that's true. But you know what hasn't changed much? The Your brain. brain. Yeah. It's still evolved for an environment that's so vastly different to where we're at now. And part of the thing about fast brain it's, it, it, it's fast, it's automatic, instinctive and impulsive. It reacts to things and all it's bothered about is the short term and now. Because if you're on the African savannah and you've got that saber-toothed tiger running towards you, you're not bothered about yeah, but what we're having for dinner tonight. Because you could be somebody's dinner tonight if you're not careful. So all it's bothered about is all about the now. Now, that's the same. This red cap is the same in both young people and adults as well. Kahneman talked about slow brain. Um, and I used a blue baseball cap to, to, to describe that. Now, slow brain, in terms of our evolutionary history, it's like the new kid on the block. So it's the, sometimes described as your higher brain, and it's where you do your more rational, logical thinking. It's where you reflect more on things and with when you're in blue cap brain the thing to think about is this this is where you do your planning and when you think about okay and, and organizations at the moment talking about scenario planning so if we you know if the stores are open in june we can do this and we can go and travel abroad again in october we could do that it's thinking ahead about the consequences 
of the choices you make. We can do that when we're in blue cap. And another metaphor I sometimes use about these two caps, and I want to just be clear, this is impulsive and it reacts, but it can also flip and save your life. That fight or flight response, you know, we do owe our very survival as a species to fear. It's just that sometimes we get fearful over imaginary things in our heads. But um, so this is not bad. This is just part of who we are. <clears throat> but if the thing is, what blue cap can do, if you imagine this is a metaphor, metaphor is a car, this is your accelerator. Yeah. This is your brake. Yeah. And we need both to enjoy the journey. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> here's what is fascinating. And I wish I had this insight when my kids were teenagers. This is more or less fully matured when you're born. I mean, it does grow and develop, but to all intents and purposes, it's not, oh yes, and I learned the fight or flight response when I was 15. No, 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 it's just part of, it, it comes with us. It's like, but it, we're born with it. So just for the, the guys listening on the podcast, that's the red hat. The red hat. Yeah, that red cap, yeah. The red cap is, it's like, it's that, it's that primitive emotional part of our brain, so we're born with it. Now, when it comes to blue cap, and again, neuroscience has taught us so much more in the last 10 to 15 years. What we now realize is this, is that the blue cap part of your brain, that more logical, rational, higher brain, hasn't actually, doesn't fully develop and mature, get this, until your mid-twenties. No. A few more years left for me then. <laughs> so... That probably, I mean, and looking at Barry, it could be his mid-40s. Who knows? <laughs> True. Who knows? Now, the thing is no. also, is that when you're going through puberty and adolescence, it's, there is so much. So firstly, just think as a teenager, one, no, this hasn't fully matured. So you've got your blue cap, but it's not fully matured and evolved. Not only that, but when you are going through those teenage years, there's so much hormonal changes happening. Yeah. You also, from, a, from an adolescence point of view, you're moving from child to adult, but it's an interesting transitionary period. Yeah. And remember, we talked about fast, automatic, impulsive, sometimes irrational. Yeah. Only bothered about short term, doesn't think about long term consequences to the actions. Does that begin to give you a bit of an insight? And go, oh, that reminds me of somebody. You see, but, the, but there is so much happening in a teenager's brain as they go through adolescence. And it's like it's like going down the road and seeing a, um, a house that is being absolutely gutted and rebuilt. And to some extent, it's like well, a, a teenager's brain is going through this thing, pruning is going on, new neural pathways are being established, hormonal changes. And I think it's really, really, really important that we stop and understand that one, what I'm talking about now is generalizations. Yeah. So some teenagers seem to thrive well and do well in their teenage years and still can access blue cap easier than some but we just need to stop and understand is have a bit of empathy and understanding there is so much going on you see outwardly they're changing suddenly they're getting taller maybe there's a few more spots on their face whatever um, the voice may change 
you know, facial hair develops. So you see that. You see the outward change, but we don't always appreciate is the phenomenal inward change that is going on in a teenager's brain, which may explain why some teenagers behave the way they do. Now, that's not an excuse and a cop-out, but it is going, come on, let's just stop and understand here why they might behave the way they do, why that moving from being a child to being an adult, all of a sudden, you know, when, when a child was born and when they're a little toddler and three and four and five years old, their parents or their parent or their carer is their world. And they want affirmation and validation from their mummy, their daddy, their carer, their grandma, their granddad, whatever. But as they start to move towards being more of an adult, what becomes really important is, is actually, you no, know, it's affirmation and um, validation from my peers no longer from my parents. Now, we've been all right in that our two, my son and my daughter, who are now aged 24 and 27 and currently living with us in lockdown, they were generally okay-ish hanging out with us, particularly as they got older in their teens and we said, we'll still pay for the holiday. They were very happy to still come with us. But but it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but if, you, if you're if you a parent and you go, you know, my son already talks to me, or my daughter always wants to be out with her friends, we hardly spend any time together. Yeah, well, that's just actually quite normal behaviour. And, and also, here's another little tip, and then I'll let you get a word in edgeways, I promise you. We talk about, you know, oh, teenagers are so flippin' lazy, and it's like one o'clock in the afternoon, and they're not even up yet. Their requirement for sleep goes up during adolescence. There's so much going on in their brain. And actually, when they're sleeping, believe it or not, you're tempted to go, it's midday, come on, get up. Yeah, but maybe for a start, their sleeping patterns are very different to yours. They might not come to bed till very late. But also, there's so much going on in the brain that is developing and also restoring and repairing from the day before. Sleep. It's important to all of us, but it is especially important to teenagers. So, your thoughts on the brain? I can see how that's the sleep is so important because it's like the two parts of the brain are fighting all day, every day, and they need that rest to get over the fighting they've been going on. And then the red cap is really powerful than the blue cap. So the blue cap has got to be even more, have more strength to overpower or become higher with the red cap so they can work together in an adulthood. You see, the the red cap for all of us, both in adult and in in young people, it it can rely on autopilot. There's lots of things that we do in life. You know, I don't kind of like wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to breathe today, it's good for me. You know, there's so many things that are happening to us that we're functioning, and it's almost like it's autopilot, and it's almost like red cap's got some of this. You know, and but when blue cap needs to be engaged, Basie, dead right, it, we need to be more intentional as adults and as young people about using blue cap. And remember, for, for teenagers, it can be a harder work to engage blue cap, it really can. But it, but also, when we are more in our blue cap mind, it's like I've sometimes been in my office, you know, writing, taking calls, being briefed by clients. And when I'm being briefed by clients, I'm intensely listening and concentrating to what's being said. And I'll suddenly go into the office and I've had just an, a one-hour phone call, but I, I feel knackered. I'm feeling, I'm like, because the, the 
blue cap, when you're using blue cap particularly, you use more energy, which is why I'm sure it all links in with um, the kind of work that you do. Taking regular brain breaks, moving around, re-energizing yourself regularly, getting five minutes out in nature. I mean, this morning we went out for a walk, my wife and I, at 7 a.m., but it's also after this call, I've got some other events happening today, but it's like grab five, have a little walk around. All of this is important to us like re-energize us and almost like change channel and not be constantly working too hard engaged in blue cap. It uses a lot more energy than our red cap, which is why it's easier to default to red cap and just uh, react to situations rather than think about how to respond. So I've, one, I've just got Kevin and Perry in my head yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I hear parents say a lot of, and obviously, you know, Baz and I haven't got kids, you know, we don't want kids, that kind of stuff, but we work a lot with people with kids. And one of the things I hear them say to us is they should have known better. And from listening to your um, insight around red cap, blue cap, it sounds like that's a bit of an unfair comment to make maybe to a teenager when they haven't got that blue cap logical thinking and they're only in their red cap right i think um teenagers can get a bad press anyway and and clearly sometimes it's a bit like hearing about covid19 you're gonna the headlines be made by the people who die from it not from all the people that recover mm. and Around the world, there are millions of teenagers acting pretty fairly responsibly. They've got their ups and downs like all of us, and they're actually doing amazing things. But it's sometimes when you see that erratic behaviour or when there's a bit of a, a gang culture and, and you, you automatically can assume the worst. And I think one of the things I'm learning more and more is about, it's a bit of compassion and it's a bit about understanding really where people are at at the moment. And... I've written this book that comes out in October and it's actually aimed at teenagers. And, and people are going, first of all, they're going, well, you're not going to get a teenager to read the book, are you? But when you see the amazing visuals on every page, the illustrations have been done by my illustrator. I think one, young people will actually find it far, I mean, if Baz might like it, Baz might actually read this. Baz will love it. Baz will love it. I mean, I know we say it's teenagers, Baz will go, best looking book I've ever read in my He's bound to, he's bound to. But actually, and it is interesting, I think adults will read it because I think we can get a little bit, you know, caught up in the complexity of so much information. And I've obviously aimed it at teenagers but it's a bit like if I want to hear about read about history, I sometimes read that series called Horrible Histories and yes. watch the cartoons because I think, and I think actually adults can access this just as easily as young people. But even if a young person didn't read the whole book, I think one, I think they'll read the odd little chapter, I think they'll read the odd little page. I've got these little what I call the sumo challenge or a little sumo uh, little thought throughout the book that are just thought provokers and, and helpful. Like, don't believe everything you think. And I have this whole section around our feelings and why we sometimes need to acknowledge our feelings, but not necessarily have to hold on to them and think they'll be permanent. And I think in the, the, the book, it'll help both teenagers maybe understand themselves a bit more. But I think crucially, it is going to help parents and teachers and other carers and people who work with young people understand what young people are going through. Yeah. And also to think about not just what's going on in their brain, but what is going on 
in society. I got bullied at school, but once I was home, I was safe. You could get bullied now and it could be 24 seven because of the whole thing around social media, which I'm not gonna criticize social media because there's so many positive things within it. But clearly what young people are having to deal with now uh, you know, is it, far different to how it was for me. And even for my kids who are aged 27 and 24. And so when you use this phrase, you should have known better, maybe it could be, how can I help you to handle that better mm-hmm. next time? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think and the, the mistake, I say that parents make, I'm a parent and I'm still making mistakes. A real invaluable insight for me, and I think it'll be for anyone watching or listening, will be this little formula. E plus R equals O. And what do I mean by that? E plus R equals O is the E stands for events. It's the event plus my response that influences the outcome. Now, for years, I lived by a different formula. My formula was E equals O. So in other words, if my daughter or my son behave in a certain way, that's the event or that's their behavior. Well, you know what the outcome's going to be. And so my outcomes weren't always great. There could be conflicts at home. We never went for kind of, we don't believe in smacking or anything physical, but boy, did I sometimes believe in having a bit of a shout. And I'd kind of go, well, I got that outcome. And you know when I got that outcome? Because of their behavior, because of how they were, because of the events. And, and therefore, if things were good, if my outcomes were good, that's because they were behaving. And it only occurred to me few years sort of like from being a parent, Paul, actually, do you know what? Sometimes their behavior or the event doesn't change. You can't control them. But what can change is your response to it. Let me give you an example. Yeah. My daughter and I are really close. Yeah. We weren't always close, but we're really close now. We've had to really work on that. But in our old house, my daughter, when she was about 13, and what's happening hormonally in, in, in all of us yeah. when we're going through our teenage years, not just girls, um, she didn't have a, a mirror, a large mirror or a dressing table in, in her bedroom. So she'd come into our bedroom at times while I was downstairs having breakfast and start doing her hair. And I'd then pop into my bedroom um, and I'd see her and I'd say, morning, Ruth, you okay? Dad, dad, I'm trying to comb my hair, be quiet. And I'm like, so I'm like, I don't need to be like that. I don't need to be like that. I only just asked you a simple question. And I'm like, so there was a behavior, there was a response, an event. Yeah. My response was to escalate it and to react back. So it was a bit like, there's my daughter's red cap, followed yeah. by my red cap, and we end up with some more flaring up of stuff going on. Yeah. I suddenly realised, Paul, you can't expect necessarily your daughter to always be how you want it to be, but you know what you can control, your response to it. Yeah. A week later, I come into the bedroom, and I see her combing her hair. I don't say anything. She's fine with that. Yeah. Things didn't escalate. Now you could go, well, well, she should do. She's being rude. Look, I'm a bit of a pragmatist. All right. I don't want to be right. I just want to be happy. And it's not, I know, well, I've got principles and blah, 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 blah. Look, 
I want to be a calmer parent. Yeah. I don't want antagonism and, and things to escalate almost out of nothing. Yeah. But sometimes my reaction was adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. I don't want the fire. I want a nice, calm outcome. I want a nice, peaceful morning. And I realized my more peaceful morning came because of how I responded to behavior. Now, does that mean that I won't always challenge my kids about certain things? Of course I will. But it's about pick your battles. She didn't want to speak to you when she's combing her hair. Not, not exactly the end of the world, Paul. Sure, move on, to yeah. coin a phrase. Yeah. yeah. I think that's brilliant. We, that, that formula is just massively important and hugely helpful in any aspect of life. Yeah. We use something similar with our guys when it comes to the emotional eating. We call it the reaction gap. Situations will always be a situation, but it's how you respond yeah. to it. And the bigger the reactional gap is, the better judgment you can make on your outcome of that. So we. That's and and we, you know, and why you're, you're so right, Bass. And do you know why? Because you got you give yourself a chance to access blue cap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually talk about sometimes take a strategic toilet break, even you don't need one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's almost like, I'll come back to that in a minute. I just need the loop. And then when you go into the toilet, it just gives you, like you say, you're widening that gap. And you're giving yourself a bit of an opportunity to access blue cap, the more rational, logical part of your brain. E plus R equals O. R, so simple, but so powerful and important. I love that. Do you feel almost then sometimes, sort of you've got red cap, blue cap, do you feel that parents, I, I don't mean to say that teenagers are lower than parents, if you know what I mean, but do you, say, do you think sometimes almost parents come down to that teenager level at times and then that's when you get that, because... You know, you know, we've brought the kids up when they were younger and we know how to develop them when they're in their younger ages and when they go to primary school. But when they're a teenager, you kind of almost expect them to just know everything. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And you, yeah. And yeah, because you're almost like looking at someone who could be taller than you and one thing and another and they're almost like appearing like they're an adult. And I think we also need to stop and understand as parents I need to manage my own self-care, my own well-being. Sometimes I'm more in red cap because I'm, you know, I talk about in, in some of my other events, I talk about reasons why we are in red cap and we struggle to get into blue cap. Now, clearly for a teenager, they struggle to get into blue cap. There's so much going on in their brain anyway. But as adults, so one of them is fatigue. You're knackered. And it's a bit like you have this elastic band and you're pulling it. Yeah. You know, they say in, there was a, an article in the Harvard Business Review, not that I read the Harvard Business Review, just in case you're wondering, but someone sent it me. It was called The Challenge of the Corporate Athlete. They talked about, uh, we didn't use an elastic band, but if you imagine this elastic band being stretched, and the article said, in the world of sport, people are stretched to achieve their best performance, but they're building recovery time, stretch and recovery. Yeah. But in, sometimes in life, as a parent, you're being stretched because of stuff going on in work, you're stretched because of your, your commute into work. You've got issues going on in your own life. Maybe you've got issues going on in your personal relationships. You're trying to raise teenagers. You've got financial troubles, you know, and there's other pressures on you. And we kind of then wonder why we struggle to get into blue cap and we react and get into red cap. It's like, do you know what? If I just build in a bit of the recovery time for me, which can be through exercise, going out in nature and just all other things that you can get. Because I always say this phrase, self-care ain't selfish. It's crucial to your success 
and your sanity. And I think when I'm calmer, when I'm in a better place, when I've put my own oxygen mask on, yeah. then I'm in a better position to help other people. So sometimes parenting skills isn't simply about how do you deal with the kids. It's how do you deal and manage with yourself? Yeah. Because I know at times I overreacted and, and can still if I'm not careful because, Paul, your elastic band is just so stretched, mate. Yeah. The other thing that also encourages parents is when you know you've blown it. And I know there was a situation, again, I, I got into, because I said to you earlier on, I didn't always, I wasn't close to my daughter when she was growing up. We had to really work at it. And one of the, and with my son, he loves football. I love football. We'd go and watch the mighty Wigan Athletic home and away, one thing and another. And it was naturally happening. I said to my daughter one day, how do you fancy going to London for the weekend, just you and me? And, and in the end, that's what we did. And we did it for about, I don't know, over 10 years consecutively. We'd go to a show, go shopping. It was amazing. But I still remember, for whatever reason, we were checking into the hotel and something happened. And I reacted to her and snapped at her. And, and I was aware that I'd done it in front of the person who was, sat, who was checking us in. And I think then my daughter got a bit embarrassed. She went quiet. And then as we get into the lifts, I just went, Ruth. I am so sorry. I completely overreacted. I apologize. And but what I've also learned is forgive yourself when that sometimes does happen. You know, no matter how much we're trying to work on ourselves and do well, no, there's, I don't think there's anybody out there who's a perfect parent. But I think what can happen is you sometimes lose it, or you, you handle a situation not particularly well. And then you're constantly beating yourself up about it and think you're not a great parent. You know, one of my clients I've worked with for 10 years is Manchester City. I do a lot less with them than I used to, but I work with players, I work with coaches, with uh, the analysts, with all kinds of people. I remember having a conversation with one of the players and we're talking about what, how do you react when you've had a bad game? He said to me, you know, if I've had a bad game, I will kind of beat myself up for an hour or two. And then what he next said was just gold. He said, but then I say to myself, just because I had a bad game doesn't make me a bad player. And I think we need to say to ourselves, just because I didn't handle what happened over breakfast trying to get the kids ready for school this morning, just because I didn't handle that well, just because I overreacted in that situation doesn't make me a bad parent yeah it's like when people say i've had a bad day and what they often mean is i had about a half hour i've yeah. kept on talking about for the rest of the flipping day and so i think we want of course i think every parent hopefully or every carer work, work, or anyone who's working with young people wants to try and how can i best support and sometimes young people can really stretch our patience and sometimes on top of everything else that's going on in our world with that elastic band we do feel like snapping and I think when sometimes the elastic band snaps, it's like, okay, I need to forgive myself. I need to probably apologize. Now, they might not accept the apology, but sometimes even apologize or send them a text message, not saying you'll get instant resolution and everyone's going to be happy and we'll all sing Kumbaya around the fire pit later with our marshmallows. But I just think these are things to just think about and be aware of. And, and realise that one of the toughest jobs on the planet is being a parent, yeah. it really is. 
And that's why we are, you know, as you know, Paul, we're so much about people looking after their well-being. You know, sod the weight loss, look after your well-being because it's going to help that you get in that blue cap by doing some meditation, walking, eating the right food, mm -hmm. thought management, stress management, all that thing, all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, it will make you a calmer parent, which if you want to, you know, use the term better parent, then that's kind mm. of what you will become, I suppose. So I sure. And, and the, the exercise. Sorry, no, Baz, you carry on. I, I, I think, think I've dominated a fair bit here, mate. I think the ultimate goal for everybody in life, whether it is weight loss, whether it's being a good parent, is to be happy. And I think we are more happy when we are healthier and when we are calmer. So I think the being selfish before we be selfless, I think that is such a powerful thing to us to understand is we've got to look after ourselves. For me, I get up two hours before Loz does because I know that's my, my two hours where I can do my self-care, my meditation, my exercise, my breakfast. I talk to my mum. And these are the things I can do without any interruption at all from Loz, said with love. <laughs> I need that time and that's selfish for me. Yeah. So I can look after Loz for the rest of the day. Being a better sure. and she under, understands she needs a lot of looking after. But you've done well, Baz. Yeah. You've done well. A happy I wife think, is a happy but, life. But, it, but it's it's it, it's so true. And whether whatever the situation you're in, you just can handle things. Not saying you're going to handle them always well, but you're going to give yourself a better chance, aren't you, of handling them better than if you're constantly stressed. You're in that red cap. You know, your brains, you've released, we all need a little bit of cortisol, but we can have too much flood in our system. And therefore, when you talk about taking some exercise, it can burn off that adrenaline and cortisol. When you meditate or you do some mindfulness, that again is, is getting you more calm and in the moment. And I, you know, I have to say, I, people go, I shared a bit of why I'm to get into Stumo and, and develop the, the Stumo guy. If we step back before that, how did you get into personal development? And I guess part of the reason was I had such a sort of screwed up childhood at times. There were some really happy moments, but there were some pretty awful ones with a very sort of psychologically abusive stepfather in my world for a number of years. That when I kind of like got to my late teens and early 20s, boy, in a lot of different ways, I had a lot of issues and struggles. So I got into personal development as a way of trying to help me and deal with my own anxiety and my own imperfections and learn to accept some of my flaws and my failings, but then try and see if there's ways I could actually try and improve upon them as well. And I just think, you know, working on you means that you'll be in a better place to help other people, whether that's your teenage kids, with your partner, people at work, people in your community. It, it really bash you, you just spot on it is so important and i'm so glad it's become you know more on people's radars mm -hmm. and i just speak from experience you know it's like this stuff works you know and i know it works and i know where i was at psychologically and physically and emotionally before and i know where i am now and that isn't through good luck although maybe it's fortunate i was born at a time where we could access the internet and get so much for free but I think it's because I've been a bit more self-aware and become a bit more intentional and also can I say this taking a bit more responsibility because I have gone through my flipping life wearing a big victim t-shirt at times and blaming everybody else and when you can like go well maybe we need to quit playing the BSE game blame someone else and maybe when I start to look at myself in the mirror 
when I start to ask myself questions like, okay, my daughter behaves this way, how can, how can I influence and improve this situation? Is my response appropriate and effective? Yeah. When I start to ask myself some better questions and take some ownership rather than be the victim, boy, did I start to see a few things change. That's one of my biggest values and of rock solid, of rock solid my values and of rock solid is ownership. If we take Brilliant. ownership of our life, we take responsibility and it gives us control. It stops us being a victim. As soon as we be a victim, we're trying to blame everyone and we've got no control over where we're going, how we're feeling, what we're doing. But it's quite easy to blame other people, isn't it? It's, it's easy, it's convenient, it gets us off the hook. But again, talking to my neuroscientist friend yesterday, a lady called Dr. Linda Shaw, she is passionate about this word control and how it can lead to us you know, thriving and flourishing in life. And, and I noticed, it's interesting, I went to see in a nice socially distanced way yesterday, I went to see my mum and it was a lovely day and um, she wanted to put her umbrella up because she wanted to be in a bit of the shade. My initial reaction, she's 78 years old, not ultra brilliant on her feet. My initial reaction was, leave it there, mum, I'll do it for you. Superhero son will do it for you. And because of some of my learning and research, it was like, you know what, if she can do this, herself let her do it take a bit of ownership and responsibility even just for putting up this parasol this umbrella to, to shade her yeah. and, and i just said mum if you need a hand she says i'll be fine and i think sometimes we just need to and, and she's taking some control and ownership for how she still does life now yeah. and and she's 78 and and physically yeah, she's got a few challenges with her hip and her knees, but in many other ways, psychologically and emotionally, she's doing great. And I think we've got to be really careful of this entitlement culture or, you know, with social media, who's to blame about certain things. You can spend a lot of your energy talking about a politician's behaviour. No offence, I still don't know how that's going to really help you deal with your own life and challenges, except sometimes deflect and distract your attention from yourself onto somebody else i'm like yeah some people don't always behave great it's not wonderful they don't always set a great example but how much flipping energy do i want to give to that i want to be feeding my mind with podcasts and audio books inspire me and help me i want to be noticing flipping nature not over consuming loads of news and and joining the bandwagon of let's have a go at somebody else. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Seriously, how happier are you really for constantly moaning about other people's lives and how they behave? Do it a little bit, but then move on. That's my call anyway. Yeah, I 100% agree with that, 100 100%. I know, you know, time is kind of restricted. And Paul, I could talk to you all day, but I really want to touch on, if we've got time, the beach ball, because I know you've blown it up. I know you've blown it up just for this. What, the beach, the beach ball or the actual concept around the beach ball? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Would you, oh. is there time for you to share that with yeah, you? Yeah, there is. This is going to be really useful to some of the guys listening as well. Brilliant. The, the sumo book has a number of different sumo principles, and one of them is called Remember the Beach Ball. And as you say, here's one I blew up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so... You're looking at this beach ball, as am I. Yeah. And, and you're probably seeing, hopefully, with the benefit of technology, three colours, 
red, white, and orange. Yep. Sorry, red, red, yellow, and orange. Yes. Um, might come over slightly differently, but red, yellow, and orange. Now, what's interesting is I'm looking at the same beach ball as you, and I'm seeing three completely different colours. I'm seeing blue, white, and green. Think about this as a parent. Think about it in any kind of situation. Sometimes you see your child's behaviour from your side of the beach ball. Yeah. What we're not always understanding is actually someone else, like your teenagers, looking at the same situation as you, but seeing things very, very differently. And what can happen is when you are the adult in the relationship, it's, look, I know best. This is what you should do. And we don't take time to stop and understand where other people are coming from. And often we think our perspective is the right perspective and the only one to have. And part of what I've been able to do and continue to do in the relationship, not just with young people, with anyone, is like, Paul, shut up, thinking that your perspective is the only perspective there is on this and move on yeah. to see where other people are coming from. How is your teenager seeing the world? What are their issues? What are their pressures? What are their challenges? What are their concerns? Now, let's be honest, sometimes a teenager isn't going to say, mom, dad, whatever, help me understand your side of the beach ball, then probably not going to do that. I get that. But if we can take a little bit more time to try and understand where they're coming from, maybe just ask some questions, you know, do a little bit of listening. You know, maybe we'll see things a bit more clearly when we do. Wow, yeah. And a top tip for a parent, here's a phrase I hear a lot, oh, I'm just a glorified taxi service. <laughs> yes, I Let me tell you. Your chances of having a conversation at home over dinner, you know, how, how was your day? How was school? Fine. Oh, is that what you're going to say? Fine. You know, and it's hard to engage. Do you know what I find fascinating when I was a taxi service for my kids? Is the amount of times when, of course, you're not sat face to face, but you're sat side to side in the car. You start chatting. Yeah. You start letting them talk a little bit. And, and sometimes the most, the most important conversations and meaningful conversations I had with my kids were in the car. Don't, and I maybe need to reframe that. And, and also just think again, when you are thinking about this beach ball conversation, even asking yourself questions like, I wonder what is going on in their world at the moment. I wonder what, is important to them at this time. Maybe they need a good listening to. Maybe they just need a little bit of word of encouragement. Maybe they, what's important to them is, don't embarrass me in front of my mates. Stop drawing attention to me about how flipping wonderful I am. Because when you're going through adolescence, you also become a lot more self-conscious and sensitive to the opinions of other people. And when someone as a parent is trying to encourage and make you feel special, no, actually, I'm feeling more embarrassed. Do you know what could be important to me? Leave me alone. Let, let me sleep as much as I need to sleep for a little bit of a while, as long as I'm not missing school or anything particularly important. And, you know, and in the book for teenagers, one of the chapters is called the Don't Forget Your Beach Ball. And one of the things I encourage the teenagers to do is obviously to explore this and why their parents don't see things the way they do. And, and it's to understand that and understand how they see things differently from their mates as well.
But then I encourage them to do this little exercise where they can either send a text or an email or even do a letter where, and I give them these little key phrases like to start off a sentence, you know, one thing I really appreciate is what would help me more would be, and, and maybe just trigger some conversations that might not happen verbally, I get that, but parents, boy, oh boy, could we do, we're trying to understand a bit more about our teenagers' sign of the beach ball. I once worked with a guy doing presentation coaching in London, and we talked about the beach ball and understand your audience's side perspective. Do you know what was really interesting when I got home that evening? There was an email from him, and he said, I love the concept of the beach ball, but not only will it help me presenting, but I got home and probably had the best conversation I've had with my 15 year old daughter in the last two or three years, because I've always been talking purely about my perspective yeah. and not taking time out to understand her side of the beach ball. He said it was invaluable. Wow. That's a bit about the beach ball. So like Paul, when you had it with the, um, uh, what was it? Yellow, um, red, red and orange. orange. And then when you turned it, as you were yeah. talking about it, to the blue, white, and green, like literally even my brain turned, do you know what I mean? Thinking, ah, oh, it just gave her a fresh. And then when you turn the ball on its side and you saw yeah. all the colours, it's like, ah. So if you're listening on the podcast, I would encourage you to get a beach ball and just look yeah. at it and, 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 you know, apply this analogy. I had the same um, response. My... My brain went from a warm, aggressive to a cool, relaxed. And it, it, I felt the change just by looking at the colour. So imagine yeah. from your daughter or your son's point of view and listening wow. to what's going on in their head. When they've got this battle, this fight going on with a red hat and the blue hat and are seeing life in different ways, they've got their struggles, but you're coming at it from your point of view. That's, that's invaluable. Wow. It's amazing. I just, I feel, what, if I had to sum up some of what I've talked about today, yeah. it actually lands on the word compassion. <clears throat> and it's that compassionate kindness, which actually is towards yourself, because I didn't know a lot of these insights when my kids were growing up. I didn't know about red or blue cap. I started to learn about the beach ball and talk about that, but this red and blue cap was like a revelation to me. Yeah. So I want to have a little bit of compassion for yourself, but please, please, please have a bit of compassion for the kids. You know, it's not like they woke up thinking, you know, how can I be the biggest pain on, in, in your backside ever? There's so much going on for them. There's so many different challenges and pressures. It's, it can be, for some kids, easier an easier ride than others. I get that. But let's just have a bit of compassion as they navigate adolescence into adulthood, faced with all the kind of things that they're faced with now that maybe we didn't have to face previously. Oh, absolutely fantastic, Paul. I just want to read you some of the comments that have been coming through. Um, Sarah says, oh, my Lord, this man is genius. <laughs> I like you, Sarah. <laughs> um, somebody obviously knows um, they've gone, it's the beach ball with a smiley face. So I, they, must, they must be following you. Uh, Stephanie yeah. says, I needed to hear this today. Very interesting and thought-provoking. Thank you, Paul. Um, and um, Dawna said, this is absolutely brilliant. Um, wish the kid's dad could see this as he doesn't get us on at all. So maybe you can, this is something that can be shared you know, mm. kind of 
you know, talked about, all this kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? I think this is the great thing about the podcast and the YouTube channels and stuff like that. If you like what you hear, you can send people the links. You can say, oh, this was interesting. Have a little listen to this. And it's just a nice, easy way of introducing people to the way you work and the, the way you talk yeah, about perfect. things and the way you explain things. And if it just helps somebody a centimetre or a millimetre, you're moving someone in the right direction to becoming happy, calmer, yeah. and having a better life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Paul, thank you so, so much for coming and joining us today. It's been enlightening. As I say, I could probably talk to you for the rest of the day about all of this, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, but I really do appreciate it. Paul, is there anything you want to leave our guys with? Um, any kind of last bit of advice or motto or anything like that at all whatsoever? I think it's just to remember that, you know, a, a calmer parent can lead to calmer kids and um just to realize i guess that we're all on this journey of self-discovery and we sometimes stumble and we sometimes struggle but you know focus on progress not perfection and have kinder conversations with yourself and with your kids as well love it thank you and paul what can um people do if they want to get in contact with you, they want to work with you, they want to find out more about you. Well, they want to buy your book. Exactly. What, what's the best route for them? Sure. <clears throat> okay, number of ways. So on social media, uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, um, I'm at the Sumo Guy. So that can be a good way of keeping up with some of the stuff. My website is thesumoguy.com. And if you go onto the website and subscribe to my newsletter, send out some like food for thought once a month, but also keep you up to date of when the books, the new books coming out for teenagers, which I know Basil want to have for himself. And, and, I, and I really want to keep people aware of, of that. I, we're hoping, I'm in negotiation with the publisher, about even just having a sample chapter that people can access for free. So they can really get a feel for the content and the illustrations as well. So at the Sumo Guy Twitter and Instagram, and if you go to my website and there's a YouTube channel you can subscribe to, and if you've listened to this on the podcast and you're going, so a bit more about this beach ball, if you go onto my website and go onto the YouTube channel, I have some videos there, a video there that talks about the beach ball, as well as lots of other things as well. And uh, can I just say to you too, it's been a pleasure joining you, and I hope this really does prove a value to lots of people. I'm sure it has. And we're already getting comments saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's, it's really been appreciative. And right. even people saying, I'm going to re-listen to it, which is fantastic. Wonderful. So guys, if you have enjoyed this, then we are going to, as we always say, ask you to share it because it's, I think this message is so, so important. If you've got something out of this, don't be naive to think that someone else can't. You know, mm -hmm. for me, I believe that we grow as people because we contribute and we give back. That's how we're all here because we've learned from everybody else. So please share this. Um, you know, our mission is to help people understand their mind, to control their body so they can create their own version of health. And what a better way of starting than with you to affect the next generation. So amazing. Mm. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, guys, my pleasure. we're going to finish here on Facebook. And as I always say, continue the after party. So have an absolutely fantastic day, guys. And we will see you all very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fit Mind Project. Please support us on iTunes and Spotify by rating us and leaving us a review. It helps us so much.
You can also watch these podcasts on YouTube or on our Rock Solid Facebook page at Rock Solid Health. This is what we're all about. We're about growing a community of like-minded people that want to change their lives to feel better than they are at the moment. We help them find their version of health so they can be healthier and happier. And remember guys, you're awesome.